gang, welcome to the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. My name is Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, we have nine days before the early bird pricing on the Uncharted April conference ends. That's right, the price for the April Uncharted conference is going to go up on Friday. Not Friday, like three days from when this podcast comes out, but February 28th, Friday, the price goes up. And to make matters worse, there's only 20 spots left. There's only 20 spots left in the conference, and so I expect it is going to, as people try to uh, not get pinched by the deadline, I expect that they're going to sell the conference out. So that's what I think is going to happen. Please don't let this happen to you. Jump on the horse. Get registered for the April Uncharted Conference. It is awesome. It is um, it is as good as people say it is, and I do everything in my power to make sure that that stays the case and always will be the case. It is a labor of love for me. I really do want you to be there and want you to see it. So head over to unchartedvet.com, get registered for the April conference. If you listen to this podcast regularly and you like it or you love it, you're going to really love this conference. So do not miss your chance. Get in there before one, the price increases, and two, it sells out. That's all I got to hear at the beginning. There's really nothing more important to say. You don't want to miss this. Let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me and Stephanie. I want to talk about me, Goss. <laughs> yeah, me. That's funny because that's uh, not me. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's topical. It's topical for us. How are you doing this morning? Uh, I am good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I see you hurting children out the door to the school bus i I am it's 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 been one of those mornings where i question whether they were raised by wolves or not but you know it's (laughs) it's good jackson just asked me why do you keep calling us feral children today well because because it's that kind of morning (laughs) uh we we had the same type of morning um my younger daughter decided that she wanted a hair bow a particular hair bow uh-huh. That belonged to our older daughter. And oh. you can imagine exactly how it went. Yes. <laughs> and and it's it's both sides of an issue where, number one, I totally recognize that the older daughter is just withholding to torque the younger daughter. And also, uh, of course, for the first time ever, the older daughter decided that she wanted a hair bow. Uh, sure. <laughs> which uh-huh. she's never... Uh-huh. And she wanted the hair bow that her sister had asked her about. Of course. But a part of me says, larger one, stop being mean to younger one. And at the same time, I'm also like, I fully expect younger one to lose your hair bow when you give it to her. And we both know that was going to happen. And if I were you, I would not want to give it to my younger sibling either. And so it's, it's definitely being of two minds. Oh, children are so fun. (laughs) Children. Oh man! Speaking well, of being of two minds. Yeah, I was gonna say. Speaking of speaking of our children, my second my second thought of children, my work family. Uh, there is a question that came through the mailbag. That's a really good one. Um, I I certainly feel this with every fiber of my manager being, and I'm really uh-huh. excited to talk about what <laughs> what we've got to talk about today. You wanna you wanna tell everybody what uh, what came through for us? Yeah, totally. So this is, I think this is a great question. I think it's a really interesting question. Uh, this is somebody being super candid and what they say, we'll call, we'll call her Agatha. Agatha is, um, struggling to find balance between being compassionate for people's personal issues when they need to be out of work and also protecting the needs of the clinic and those who are continually showing up and covering for those who are being out for personal reasons, any uh, ideas, recommendations? What do we, what do we do here? Yeah. I think it's a great question because it's so common. Like yeah. we want to be compassionate for people, and, and we want to be supportive of our employees when they struggle or when they're out. At the same time, we have a we have to run this business, right? We have to right. take care of the pet owners. We, we can't burn out and abuse the rest of the staff who show yeah. up. And so how yeah. do we balance compassion for the individual against compassion and responsibility 
for the whole team and the practice and the patients? Yep. Great question. Really like it a lot. Yeah. It's, uh, like I said, it is super easy to understand. I, I, I definitely feel this one because I think, I think we've all been there at some point or another, like, and most of us have been there more than once. Like, I think I've been in this forest. I recognize those trees. Like it's, it's it's a regular occurrence, particularly for me where this really started um, to hit home was as I grew in the size of my practice, like it's hard enough. Um, and sometimes in different ways, it's more uniquely challenging in a very small practice when someone has something going on because there's less bodies to help fill the gaps. But when you get up into on the flip side of that, when you get up into a bigger practice and you have multiple people and then things are happening in multiple people's lives at the same time, it's, a different juggling act to try and balance five different people's needs all at the same time. So I, I, that for me was when it really, it really started to hit home in kind of a more regular way when I grew into a bigger practice. And I came to the realization that this is life and everyone has a life and there's your work life and there's your personal life. Sometimes they bleed into each other and sometimes it gets messy, but the reality is we're all human and we all have things going on. And at some point, everyone is going to need to put their hand up and say, I'm waving my white flag. I have to take a time out. I need help. And so it's, it's super easy to understand how this could, it is a challenge for people. Yeah, definitely. The way it generally manifests is the manager or practice owner or medical director are put in a place of having to balance two competing interests. Mm -hmm. There's the team member who needs flexibility or needs concessions. Yes. Clinic that needs reliability and work capacity. A hundred percent. And those are competing conflicting interests. Mm -hmm. And in some ways this is a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. If you don't come to work, then, then, then you're not at work. And if you right. do come to work, then you are at work. Like if you don't come to work, then we don't have you at the practice. And if you do, then you are at the practice. And so there is no, like, how about you stay home and also come to the clinic? And then we both get what we want. Like right. that, that <laughs> only one of those things happens. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's hard to split. It's not like, how about your lower half comes to work right? and your upper half can stay at home. Like we can't, you we know can't do the like. King Solomon thing uh, to our technicians. You know what that looks like? That looks like for those of us, especially those of us who are managers or doctors, that looks like the day when I show up at the clinic with a child in tow who is sick and I need to be at home with them, but the clinic also needs me. And so you are trying to be all things to all people at the same time. And it, it never turns out well for anybody. Well, And that's an important thing too, is because that is the splitting the difference sometimes is you have a sick person who's like, I'm going to work and then they infect, you know, and and then you have four people out because, uh, because Carol didn't want to let the team down. Right. And now the team is all on albuterol, you know? Look, and, and this is, this is that I'm glad you said that because that perfectly proves our point. There is, there's never a bad guy in this situation and everybody has to try and empathize, but this is precisely why we have protocols. Like for me, this is a hundred percent why everybody has to have a sick policy in their handbook and it has to be spelled out. Like when these things are happening, These are the things that you take as cues that you should stay home. Like Carol, I don't want you with your 102 degree fever and your hacking cough spewing your germs all over everybody. Or when the stomach flu hits the team and somebody gets it and they drag themselves anyways into the clinic and then they're in the staff bathroom puking their guts out and then everybody gets the stomach flu. Like that to me is the (laughs) that timeout. Like (laughs) Yeah, and and it's and again, no bad guys here. I have been on both sides of this. I have been the person who's like, you need to go home because I'm legit getting angry. Right. You know what I mean? At you spewing germs everywhere. 
And I have also been the person who's like, I can't let the team down. Right. And my wife is going, they don't want you there. Like, why would you go that like, (laughs) go get back in bed and just, and, and my, my sense of loyalty is like, I, I just woke up like this and they have zero notice that I'm not coming. There's appointments booked. How can I have to go? And you know, that's, I've had both of those experiences. And so I, I totally, this is hard. Yeah. And so no bad guys here. Um, no bad guys, but there are definitely losers and often everybody loses. Right. And I think, I think it's, it's easy for us to joke in and, and talk about this in a joking manner, especially when it comes to sick policies, because by and large, most clinics have, whether they're written rules or they're unwritten rules, kind of the rules for how do we deal with it when someone is sick, right? Like an unwritten rule in my, in my practice is, you know, you don't come to a rule, you don't come to work with a fever. Well, in some practices that I've run, that actually has been a written rule and has been in the handbook. It's a lot harder though, in the situation that we got through the mailbag where it's ongoing personal life issues that require someone to be out of work. And yes. so it's harder to to think about it from that perspective because that's where a lot of practices struggle with falling short in terms of thinking it out ahead of time and planning it out. A lot of practices don't have leave policies or plans for when people need more than the occasional day off or what do you do if the occasional day off becomes a regular chronic thing. Those are the those are the places where we're often struggling to prevent the problem from happening because we haven't thought about it in advance and we don't have the policies in place. Um, And so it's a lot easier to think about it being fair when it's, when it's um, either something that we've already laid out and we're already applying policies or that are there, or it's, you know, theoretical and we're not actually in the moment dealing with it. Right. That, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The sick policy thing is pretty straightforward because you say this person is contagious right. and it's pretty easy to run a cost benefit analysis. You're going to get better faster if you stay home. And the chances of other people being infected are much lower if you stay home. Right. And we can't help the fact, no one can help the fact that you are physically ill. Right. So that's not particularly interesting to me. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a headache, but I don't find that to be an interesting problem. I think the interesting problem and the one that people really struggle with is when the person is physically able to come and work, but they have other things going on in their life. Do you want to throw out like a, a, make up an example of something of the type of thing that, that we're talking about? Yeah. So, um, one that I have, um, experienced and, and heard from a lot of managers is when you have somebody on your team who's, um, has had like a, a death in their family. And they're struggling with um, the the afterwards of that, like, uh, you know, a parent has died and now they're taking care of the estate. And so it's kind of an ongoing thing that requires like you have the immediate I need time off for bereavement leave. And how do you deal with that? But then the subsequent things or like when a team member goes through a divorce, right, like you have you have the concrete things where they're going to need time off for court and they're going to need, you know, time off for counseling appointments. But then it's the. I'm not in the headspace to deal with coming to work today and I need to take another mental health day. It's those like longer term issues that often people struggle with because it's not just a one time I'm out sick for the weekend and then I'm back to work on Monday and everything is everything is back to normal. What do you which one do you want to take? Do you want to do, do you want to do you want to use divorce as our example or do you sure. want to do a, 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 yeah. a family law? Right, let's do divorce. It's hard. Yeah, it was totally hard. Okay, cool. So let's specifically talk about divorce. Let's say that um, Carol is is uh, going through a divorce and she's got uh, some child custody stuff that's involved. This is extremely difficult for her. Her life is being turned upside down. Okay. And at the same time, you know, there's some times that she just, she's just saying, I can't come in today. I've, I'm just overwhelmed or I've got too much things, things like that. Okay, cool. So let's, let's take this and go with it. The first thing that, that I want to put on the table is I am not. Uh, uh, knock, I am not belittling Carol's situation and I don't want to anyone to think that, right? This is, ter- this is a terrible thing. Uh, you know, a lot of people struggle uh, with depression and things dur- during these times. This is a, a massive life event for her. 
this is not something to blow off. And we want to be supportive. We want to be the boss that takes care of our people and is there for them. At the same time, we uh, struggle with getting phone calls saying, I can't come in today. And after a while, sort of the goodwill, it does start to get to get burned up. And, and I hope that's not awful to say. I think I think we all have felt that before where it's almost like this caregiver's burden where at first we feel sorry for these people and they're still struggling, but we start to run out of that compassion because we've, we've kind of gone on and that's a real psychological thing that happens. Um, if any of us have ever been chronically ill, a lot of people have that same uh, uh, feeling mm -hmm. of at first, everyone is really sympathetic but then after weeks or months, you know, they seem to start to lose patience. Sure. Even though they should be sympathetic. I, and I, I just want to say that that is a common thing that happens. And it's it's hard. And it's, it's, it's hard for everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my point is, oftentimes in these situations, both sides um, are, are having valid emotions where Carol is saying, I'm not well, or I'm not able to do this, or I'm overwhelmed. At some point, the goodwill of the team covering for her, it does start to wear thin and people do start to get resentful. And I'm not saying that that's valid, but that is how they feel. A hundred percent. I think, I think the reality is they're, they're hard, they're hard situations and ultimately hard decisions that have to be made as you go through them. And they also are very emotional. And so you you don't want to be caught having to make the decision in the moment because that makes it even harder and more emotional, right? So once you're already in it, I think you need a plan for how do you deal with it? Because most people, um, most of the times I've talked to other managers or practice owners about situations like this, they are they are firmly in the middle of it like it's not come they don't the train is not coming towards them the train has already hit them and has run mm -hmm. over them kind of halfway and now they're like okay crap now i'm in the middle of it now what do i do how do what, i how do i deal with this what generally happens in my experience is that at the beginning everyone is optimistic that things are going to go as well as they can possibly go sure hey my mother has passed away i am the executor of the estate um, you know, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to go to the funeral and, and spend some time with the family and now I'll have some responsibilities, but I think I'll be able to manage those sort of in my off time and every, you know, every, and they mean that that's not misleading. They mean that, or, Hey, we're going through divorces. It's the best thing. Um, it's what we need to do. And we're going to try to keep our personal lives personal and our professional lives professional. And, and, right. and that's the plan. And that's what we're going to do. And, and they mean that. And then only when we're in the thick of it. That's, you know, that's when people really start to struggle in ways they didn't anticipate. And so it's, I think the norm is we realize we have a problem right in the middle of it all, you know, and again, not anybody's fault. It's just how it, how it falls down. So the first place that we get in trouble from a, a manager standpoint, from a leader standpoint is we are making decisions on the fly. The, yeah. Carol calls us and says, I just, you know, I just, I can't, I just don't think I can do it today. I can't come in today. Or is it okay if I stay home today? Right. And, and here I am on the phone and the appointments are being loaded into the rooms and the rest of the staff is going, Hey, we, we need some help today. We've got a full surgery suite. You know what I mean? And now I've got conflicting emotions. I've got mm -hmm. stress coming at me from the team. If I say, don't worry about it, there are going to be some people who are going to be upset of me saying right. that. And if right. I say, no, get in here, then, and especially if I use that tone of voice, right. which is what <laughs> I feel in my chest when the appointments are coming in, then I, right. you know, then, then I'm going to hurt her feelings and possibly right. damage our relationship and things like that. And so those decisions on the phone, on the fly, in the middle of the workday, they're they're hard and they, they're a trap waiting to happen. Yeah, I think I think for me, I um where I start with this is that I I try and avoid making immediate decisions. And and so what I mean by that is usually if someone is if someone is calling me to say that they can't come in today, like 
if I force them to come in, the the outcome, or if I if I make them feel guilty because of our situation, the outcome when they do come in is never going to be good. Like we've all been there where we're like, oh, we really could use you today. Like we're we're super slammed, and then they come in. And then they are struggling. They're either, they're not in the headspace. Like they're, they're, there's a reason they called in. And so if they come in to help, it never goes well. And so for me, I usually start with, okay, that's, that's totally fine. I, you know, I will, we'll figure it out. You take care of you. Um, and then, and then for me, it's about, okay, well, what am I going to do? What is my plan going to be from here? Because you can't leave it there. There has to be some sort of follow-up. Um, and you need a, you need a plan, right. For, for when you sit down and talk, but in the moment, trying to formulate what that plan is or have that conversation or get your, there, there's no winners in that making oh, no. decision-making process in the moment. Well, so here's, so here's, let's, let's push this scenario further on. So you say, I'm not going to tell her to come in. Because it won't be good if she comes in and it won't right. be good in the short term and the long term. And so you right. hang up the phone and then you turn to the team and what happens then? Then right. you get to tell the team, I told Carol she Ask doesn't them. have to come in today. And that's when Michelle says, you know, I went through divorce and and I, I was upset I for was about a day and a half. And then I was glad that son of a bitch was gone and I never <laughs> missed a day of work. And she's not wrong. That was her experience. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Um. Uh -huh. That does any, and again, I keep sort of caveating, caveating, caveating. That, that doesn't invalidate that Carol is having a very different experience. And very, it's sure. not the same thing at all. Right. But Michelle feels that way. And the rest of the team who's never gone through anything like this is like, oh, you're such a pushover. Why did you, you know, why right. did you, why did you do this? And so now is I can't win. I'm totally stuck and I can't win. Okay. So let's, let's fix this. Yep. All right. Yep. First thing, I want to get away from the whole, um, I want to get away from the whole, let me make a decision right now. Right. Like, I don't want to make a decision on the floor. I do not want to get caught like this. If Carol calls and she's like, hey, you know, I'm looking ahead for next week and I've got these things and blah, blah, blah. I'm not making this call right now. So, oh, great. Let me process this. We're getting started on appointments. Yeah. I will give you a call back by the end of the day today yeah. and we can talk through everything. And I'm at least, you know, giving myself some time or I'll say, I'll call you, let me call you tomorrow morning right. and we'll go through everything. Right. And that's because I know that I probably want to sleep on this and right. I want to go home and sit with it when I'm not at the clinic. And so step one for me is try to avoid getting pinned down where I am on the phone and I'm trying to make a decision right now because this is hard and there's a lot of different ramifications. So Avoid that scenario whenever you can, because it always leaves me feeling kind of resentful. Well, and because I think, I think for me, there's, there's four or five kind of talking points that I have to walk through in my head to process this kind of question or this kind of issue. And so for me, it's about buying some time to make sure that I, um, and, I, and we're going to walk through them in a second, but that I walk through each one of these steps and ask myself these questions and really kind of figure out the answers or figure out that I don't have an answer and just, just know that going in to the conversation. And I don't think you can do that in the moment. I agree. So let's get into the types of questions that we ask ourselves mm -hmm. because getting your head and your heart kind of in alignment here is really important because you can yeah. do this wrong and feel like you're a villain um, or you can get it wrong and feel like you're uh, Mother Teresa, but your staff is angry and you're short and shorthanded, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and you feel like you've done a disservice to your patients. Yep. And so, so getting, getting the philosophy right is important questions that you ask yourself. What, what do you start with? Um, I usually start with, um, I usually start with culturally, like what kind of, what kind of clinic do we have? What kind of team do we have? And the answer for that is going to vary. Yeah. From hospital to hospital. And I've worked in hospitals where the answer to that is dramatically different. I've worked in 
the hospital where family comes first, no matter what. And the work family is a, is a family, just the same as your home family. And if you've got something going on in your home life, like you take care of you, no questions asked a hundred percent. Everybody is all in on that philosophy. And I've also worked in practices where the business is the business. And like, we get it. People have personal lives, but we have to run the business. And so here are our rules and here's the structure for that. And so for me, it's, it starts with like, who are we as a, who are we as a clinic and what kind of, what kind of culture do we have? What kind of clinic do we want to have? Yeah, I, I agree. What, what kind of clinic do we want to have? I, I think that that's, that's the question that I sit with and it helps me get my head straight. Do I want to have the clinic that, um, that puts business first, first, do I want to have a clinic that puts business last? Hmm. You know, I think for most of us, the truth is it's somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We want to be fair. We want to be good to our people. Um, there's, there's this thing, uh, it's, it's a philosophy term and I, it's somebody's and I can't remember the person's, but it's, it's called the veil of ignorance, right? The veil of ignorance It's this exercise where you look at a situation or you look at a society or you look at a culture, you look at a team and you say to yourself, if I was magically plucked and put into that team or put into that society mm-hmm. and I do not get to choose where in the team I am put, would I be happy, right? Or would this be fair? And it's interesting because when you're the practice owner, you look at the world from the practice owner standpoint. But if I said, I'm going to magically pluck you up sure. and stick you in the kennel assistance job. Mm-hmm. If you lose your mind about that, I wonder why. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. with the veil, and I, I just like that a lot. The veil of ignorance yeah. helps me to look at my team and say, if I wasn't me, if I was um, Daniel at the front desk, mm-hmm. would I feel like this was a fair place to work? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Would I, f- would, would I be happy with this job? Would mm-hmm. I feel like I the culture that. here was good? And, and and so I put that forward when we have these types of of questions. What time of culture do we want to have? The veil of ignorance helps me. If I was a technician, would I feel cared for? Would I feel supported? Um, because life can be really good for doctors in some places and not good for support staff. And so anyway, that that's, that's something that has helped me as I think about what is fair. What yeah. if I wasn't management? What if I was on the other side? And then what if I, what if I was in management? Like, what if I was me? And so if you can balance those things, I think that, that for me, that has really helped to figure out what my team should look like so that I feel good. Does that, I don't know, I hope I haven't made that really yeah, weird. No, 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 I, I love that. I love that. And it's a, it's a um, super smart and effective tool, I think, for looking at the cultural perspective and looking at it like, um, I, I like the idea of looking at at it blindly I think that that could be could be super helpful for making that kind of judgment if you are especially if you are somewhere in the middle right which a a lot of a lot of clinics do fall into that like the business matters but the people matter and so where do you where do you stand and and so I think for me that leads to question number two which is um and we talk about this all the time but what's kind you know what what is what is kind to the person to the team to the to the whole um you know what what feels like the right kind thing to do you know if we care about that person we want to take care of them we want to make sure that their family is taken care of um and i think that's not to say that you don't then also have to consider um the next question for me which is what is fair but like, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't have to consider the ramifications of being kind, but I do think that you need to stop and really sit for a minute with what is the, what, what is the kind thing to do? What is, or what, what is the, you know, I don't think it's about being right or wrong, but what's the right thing to do from a human to human perspective? Right. I like that a lot. What is, what is kind? And, and, and you always have to flip that question around. What is kind to the individual? What is kind to the team? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and we talk about this, you and I talk about this a lot with, with toxic employees. So say you've got a toxic employee and that's not what we're talking about today. Say you have a toxic employee. 
is it kind to keep this person in your clinic? And the truth mm-hmm. is, this person is probably not happy. And so keeping them where they're unhappy is probably not kind. Is right. it kind to the rest of your clinic to keep this person here? And the answer is absolutely not. And so it is not kind to keep this person on your staff. Letting mm-hmm. them go is the most kind thing that you can do. And so that, that's when I say, what is kind? That, that's kind of where my head goes. So we go back to Carol and her divorce. What is kind, Carol? And at the same time, what is kind to our team? And to your point, forcing Carol to come in today, is that kind to Carol? No. Is that kind to your team? N- no, it's probably not because right. <laughs> she's like, yeah, she it's, it, this is going to be a net loss when she's unhappy, upset, emotional, like, like what dealing with whatever she's dealing with. And she's not going to show up and be a hundred percent Carol self who right. jumps in and helps like, and so I'm not right. sure I've helped my team in by making her be there. And I definitely probably haven't helped her out. Mm-hmm. So, so what is kind? And then what is, what is fair? Okay. And, and, and here's, here's where fairness, it takes on a temporal aspect. So there's what's fair now, but also what's going to be fair. And so our brains do these really weird things. At least, at least this is something that, that I have really wrestled with over the year. Uh, over the years is I'll be in a situation and the thoughts I start to have are, well, maybe it's okay for Carol to be out for right now, but what happens if other people get divorced and what happens if three people are going through divorces at the same time Mm -hmm. and what happens, you know what I mean? And what happens if somebody else who's not married has a breakup and then we've got people, and what if someone's Tinder date goes bad and now we've got people (laughs) who are taking time off because their Tinder date was bad, you know? And that's ridiculous, but it, ha- you know what I mean? It happens. 100%. We go down this, down this, um, we go down this pathway of precedent, right? Yeah. Oh my God. And I cannot tell you how much pressure I put on myself because of precedent. Yeah. If I do this now, I'm going to have to do it for everybody forever. Cause that's fair. And that influences my decisions. And I have found that that is lunacy. But we immediately go there. We do what's called future casting. I start imagining what the future will be and what right. this decision right now will mean in six years. And it ultimately ends with me living in the forest, divorced <laughs> and, you know, and and unemployed. And that's where it always ends. <laughs> But I go, oh, this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then uh, uh, then I'm going to get sued, and blah, 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 uh-huh. blah, blah. And, and ultimately, I end up in the forest uh, by okay. myself, uh, <laughs> killing animals like a survivalist. Oh, my God. We all know so much more about you now. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Every, about once a week, I walk into the office where Jamie Holmes is working and say, that's it. I'm going to live in the forest. <laughs> Once a week, that's how I feel. All right, so anyway, okay. Why am I telling you this? Because that's not a thing to share. Why am I telling you this? It's it's because that is a natural tendency we have. It's called future casting. Sure. It's thinking about what this precedent is going to mean and how things are going to happen in the future. And, and if I do this, then it will slowly undermine the fabric of my life. And, you know, and lead to the destruction of our whole practice. Like that, that's the idea that we have. I'm here to tell you that is not, that is not true. Okay. Um, so I, I generally reject the idea of precedent. Now I am working with Carol. I am making the best decisions that I can make. I am just going to make the best decisions I can make with the information that I have here today. Right. And you go, but Andy, you're setting yourself up for next time. And I go, aha. I can reject the idea of precedent and just do what I think is right today as long as I do these next things that I'm going to tell you, okay? Mm-hmm. When this is over, I am going to sit back and I am going to think about what happened mm-hmm. and I am going to use my experience and I am going to use the veil of ignorance. It's called Rawls, W sorry, R-A-W-L-S. Rawls veil of ignorance is what it's called. Uh, I'm going to use that and say, okay, what is fair in the future? What have I learned? And then I am going to make a plan. I am going to make a protocol. I am going Mm -hmm. to say publicly, guys, in the future, this is what we're going to do. I am not going to tie it back to Carol. I'm not going to say because of Carol's divorce. Right. 
Right. We are starting this policy. I'm not. It may be three months. It may be six months. It may be at the next contract. And it just goes into the contract. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to call it out every time and say, hey, there's an addition to the contract this year. There's probably three additions to the contract this year. These are the three things. This is why they're there. This is what we're talking about. You know, um, this this is... Mm -hmm. This is what you need to know. But I'm not going to say this is this is the Carol Clause. It's not the Carol Clause. <laughs> this is us as a team living and learning and trying sure. to do better. Yep. And so I am going to do what I think is best now. And I will probably get it wrong. I will probably get it wrong because I get it wrong a lot. Sure. Well, we're human, right? Like we're we Exactly sense. right. And in the future, if this happens again, the next time... I want to have the policy and say, this is what we do and this is how we do it. And this is how you ask for time off. These are the expectations. This, you know what I mean? And this is when it becomes your vacation days. Like I want to, I want to figure that stuff out. I want to do my research again, veil of ignorance. I want to make something that's fair for the practice, fair for the person. And so next time it happens, I'm going to say this, if they say, but when Carol got divorced, you did these things. What I would say is, you know what? We did what we thought was best at the time. Right. And since then, we we did our research. We looked at how it affected right. the practice. We looked at how it affected all the right. people. We learned. And we have put this policy in place. The time to announce the new policy is not when the next person has a problem. Right. And comes to you. Bad move. Like, you, like right. you, that, is, that is where you screw this up. You reject the idea of precedent. And then you say, I'm going to come up with a better way and you don't do it. And then the problem presents itself again. And then you're trying to introduce a new policy as Daniel is going through his divorce. Right. You know, like that's not, that's not cool. That's not going to fly. You're right back where you were the first time because you didn't close the loop. Right. And so reject, reject future casting, reject the idea of precedent, do what is best do your best and what is best right now with the information that you have and the resources that you have. And then when this is over, and this is, this is the whole key, learn from what you did, look back at it with a clear eye Mm -hmm. and make a plan so that if it happens again, you are ready. And two of the questions that I generally ask myself when I'm doing that process are what, what happens when it's not the same person over and over? Like what happens when it is three people at once or, um, you know, two people in tandem or whatever. Like I want to look at it from, from all angles when I'm doing that analysis of, okay, this is what happened with Carol. What did I learn from it now? How do I want to look at it in the future? That's one of the things that, that is really important to me is how do I handle it when it isn't the same person? And then another big one, it took me a while to learn this lesson um, but is what what happens when you become chronically understaffed because it's happening to everyone? Like everybody has a life. Everybody's going to have complications. And so what are the implications from a practice perspective when it becomes not just like a one-time thing, but a regular ongoing um, occurrence? What What is your plan? That's not to say that it has to be a bad thing that that is what is happening, but there has to be a plan for how you deal with it. And so those are, when I'm, when I'm going through those, that process, those are two things that I actually really want to spend some time analyzing and thinking about what is my plan, because both of those things will happen to you at some point. Yes. So I'm going to say something and uh, a lot of people get real mad real fast and then I'm going (laughs) to back them down. So if you're one of the people who gets real mad real fast, just go ahead and get just prepare to get mad and then, and then for me to explain what I'm saying and, and for everything to be okay. Just don't get mad and then turn the podcast off because I won't get explained. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if it if something happens that's a surprise in your practice and it happens again and again, at some point, <laughs> it's not a surprise anymore. It's your business model. If you, that's what I mean. It's true. If you... If you run on exactly the number of people you have to have in your practice, assuming that everyone is healthy and at full capacity and well-rested and well-fed, you are never going to have a good day because someone will always be sick 
or mm -hmm. out or traveling or on vacation or yeah. getting married or doing whatever they're doing, right? Yeah. Like that will always happen. Yes. And so you will always be understaffed and you'll be like, I don't understand. We're, we're understaffed again. And so just, just know that that's a reality. We, I have, and I've seen a lot of practices that way. They'll do um, some math formula and they'll decide this is the number of people I have to have. And they just ignore the fact that half the days they're shorthanded because someone didn't make it or whatever. Right. And the answer is to recognize that that's true and it's better to be a little bit. And again, you got to make the numbers work. But it's better to be a little bit. I think most of us would prefer to be a little bit overstaffed so that we absorb the pain when mm -hmm. someone is out. And it's not the end of the world if someone has to take a sick day, especially this happens a lot. If right. we rarely have someone else and once a quarter the team has to pull together because we're shorthanded, right. that's one thing. If it's twice a week the team has to pull together because we're shorthanded, that's an entirely different matter. And when I say people get mad because a lot of people go, I've been trying to hire staff for a year, Andy. And so don't tell me that I'm bad for being understaffed. I'm definitely not saying that. You know what I mean? Some people make the conscious choice to be staffed on a razor thin margin. And that's what I'm talking about, right? If you are understaffed because you can't hire people and then people are out sick, do right. not, please don't right. feel criticized. That's, that's not yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think so. The next question in the series for me so, you know, we ask ourselves, what kind of clinic do you want to have? What is kind? what is fair to, to everyone both now and in the future. And then for, for me, from a management perspective, the, the last question that I have to kind of process, especially when it's something like this that involves someone's personal life is what is our legal responsibility? You know, what are, what are we as an employer, as an employer of our specific size and scope in our given state, what is our legal responsibility? And there's so many implications there, the size of your practice, where you're located, how many employees you have, how many locations you have, all of those things play into it. And the legal piece of it is super complicated. And this is where I often see veterinary practices shoot themselves in the foot because they refuse to spend the time or money most often to actually find out what is legal and just live on in a blissful state until it comes back and bites them in the butt because they do something unintentionally very illegal because they haven't spent the time to figure that out. So there are a lot of resources out there um, for people in terms of figuring out what your legal responsibility is. Um, two of my absolute favorites um, are the Society for Human Resource Management, SHRM. They have a great website that has a lot of legal basics. They even have um, some information that is divided up specifically by state. So you can look at what your state requirements are. Um, likewise, your state chamber of commerce. Um, I learned about this as a resource when I was practicing in California. This, um, you know, most people think about your chamber of commerce as your lo little local town group. But um, most states have a, a statewide chamber of commerce program and most of them have a legal component to it. And so their sole job is to help businesses know what their legal responsibilities are as employers. And they often have phenomenal resource information. Even if you're not in California, they're, they're, the California one in particular is a great resource. Um, but you should have a business attorney and you yes. should have someone who specializes in employment law, whether you pay them on retainer and you go to them with whatever problems you have, or you pay them as a one-off to kind of look at the policies that are in your handbook. It is it is a business expense. You cannot stick your head in the sand and ignore this fact. You need to have a business attorney and you need to do your due diligence to figure out what are your legal responsibilities, both to yourself from a business perspective and to your employees as an employer. I completely agree. You and I mentioned that a lot. Your employment lawyer, you know, having employment, having access to employment lawyer. It is, it is just a requirement these days. It just is. Yeah. And so Steph mentioned having uh, somebody on retainer that, that it depends on your practice. If you've got a huge practice and, and, you know, a hundred plus employees that mm -hmm. may absolutely make all the sense in the world. I think for most of the smaller practices, you want to find a, a good small business, business employment lawyer, and they'll ping you for $200 an hour mm -hmm. or $250 an hour. Mm -hmm. Just pay it, you yeah. know, figure yeah. out what your policy is going to be. 
pay them $250 an hour for two hours, one hour, three hours, and just, but just do it right. You don't need them that often, but right. when you need them, you yes. need them and you yes. want to have that relationship. So fit, find somebody for that and then use them. Right. Yeah. And most practices will go, but you know, but Stephanie, it's going to be, you know, they told me it was going to be $2,000 for them to review my handbook. Well, look, you guys, would you rather spend $2,000 to do it right from the beginning or would you rather spend $200,000 when you're fighting a lawsuit in court because you tried to DIY it and you screwed it up? Like, to me, that is an, it's a no-brainer and it's a bit of a soapbox for me because I feel like that's where, that's where veterinarians went to, to school to become vets, not to become business people. And a lot of times they struggle with that. And look, I get it. Finances are tight. And sometimes coming up with that $200 an hour or $2,000 for them to do that thing is really, really hard. But I promise you, this is a business expense that you cannot afford not to spend the money on. Yeah, I agree. I'm with that. All right. Let's talk about helping these people and yep. at the same time providing some structure for us. Yep. I, I am a big fan of EAPs. Uh, yeah. I think you and I have talked about this in the podcast before. Uh, I've got some articles written on it. You can find them on drandywork.com. EAPs are employment assistant programs. Um, they are generally very affordable. Uh, they're literally a dollar per month per employee, something like that. I mean, up to $3 per month per employee. Employee assistance programs, uh, they vary in what they offer. So you want to pay attention and look at that. And I said, there's lots of, of resources out there. We talk a lot about EAPs and Uncharted. Um, if if that's something you're interested in, uh, just another just another perk of being an Uncharted member. Um, <laughs> EAPs generally provide solution-based counseling sessions mm -hmm. uh, for your employees. And so they may, they would be able to talk to a therapist. And again, how often they can talk to a therapist, uh, you know, that varies with the plan, but okay. generally a couple of times uh, per issue per year, they can talk to a therapist and it is covered by your EAP. And a lot of times it'll be a phone consult or a digital consult, something like that. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of my staff having access to this resource because I do want to help them at the same time. From a business practice standpoint, this provides me with a wonderful resource. So when I have someone who comes in and they are dealing with something at home and they're bringing their personal life into work and it is affecting them, it's affecting, especially when it's, their personal life is affecting the teammates. And you guys have all seen this. You've all seen people bring their personal stuff to work and it tank the day or, you know what I mean, bring other people down or suck productivity away. There is something really nice about being able to, to pull that person sort of aside and say, Hey, what's going on? And they say, oh, I'm just dealing with this thing and I'm really upset and blah, blah, blah. I can't, you know, blah. there's something very powerful to say, this is why we have an employee assistance program. Uh, I can get you set up. I, let me, do you have the contact information? I want you to use this. And the beautiful part is you are giving them uh, a resource that allows you to say, Hey, we can't have you talking about these things here. Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, a, a distraction for the rest of the team. We want you to use the EAP program. I want you to talk to someone who's trained because your colleagues are not therapists and, right. I, and I'm not a therapist. And so mm -hmm. let's get you some help. Let's get you a productive place to have these conversations. And, and then that way we can leave personal stuff at home. And look, I love the EAP for the fact that that is your, as a, as a manager or practice owner, that is your bridge between making a decision in the moment and having formulated a plan that then you're going to sit down and discuss with them. So in the moment, you are still hearing them, you're treating them with kindness, and you're like, hey, I hear you. Here's what I can do right this second to help you out. And then when you're back on Tuesday, let's sit down and let's talk about this, or I'm going to call you tomorrow and we're going to talk through this. It allows you to step away from having to make that decision in the moment, but still help them. And I, I love, um, I love it for that, that, that reason, aside from the fact that it's super helpful and gives them access to all, all kinds of resources. Um, it just feels good to be able to say, here's how I'm going to help right now. And then we're going to sit down and talk about this in the future. The EAPs also, provide some management counseling. Again, depending on the plan that you get or the program that you go with, a lot of EAPs will provide management counseling, which means that you can call your EAP and say, hey, I have an employee who's going through a divorce. It is really bad. It is nasty. She is really affected. 
I don't know what to say to her. I'm not a therapist. I don't know how to be supportive. And they can give you resources on how to be supportive of Carol, mm-hmm. you know, what to say. They will tell you about the resources they have so that you can help give her those resources or, or, or direct her to those resources. And so they can support you to help you better support Carol. And that mm-hmm. is uh, really, that is really useful. So between the EAP and then hopefully our business attorney, so we know what's legal and things like that. And then thinking about what is fair and what type of practice do we want to be and maybe using the veil of ignorance to think about how, you know, do unto others, how I would want to be treated uh, and what our team needs. Hopefully we can start putting a plan together. And I think all that we're missing at that point are some metrics. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then the numbers are, the numbers are important to me um, from a, from a business perspective. I, I want to consider the person because what is kind and what is fair is very important to me. But from a business perspective, I have a job to do and I have a, a business to run and I can't run that business if um, I don't have people there to, to do the work. Right. And so for me, it's about looking at what is the data and the numbers that allow me to look at it from a non-emotional perspective. And so a lot of time with staffing, it's thinking about, it's looking at the numbers, like, are we running into constant overtime because we're covering for this person? Are we having to pay a relief vet? Am I having to pay relief technicians? All of those kind of things are hard and fast data sets and numbers that will allow you to try and figure out a decision from a non-emotional place when it, when it comes to the business aspect uh, um, of the problem. I agree. That's, that's a great way to sort of support your decisions and, and give some structure. So definitely take a look at that. All right. Do you, Oh, the last thing I would sort of say is um, when I'm starting to think about these things, I'm trying to figure out what is fair. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that you have to, whatever you decide you have to do forever. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that, again, time plays a big role here. Yes. I may be able to very much support an employee um, in a very generous way for four weeks or <laughs> six weeks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But but we can't, like, you know, we can't do it beyond that. And so just saying, um, well, I can't sustain this, so I'm not going to do it that it doesn't have to necessarily be that way. And so just think about those things as well. Make deadlines clear in your policy. Um, We are able to provide these things for this amount of time, Mm -hmm. but we can't do it forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I think having a plan for what are those checkpoints and when are you going to, when are you going to sit down and reassess and, and making sure that you are, you are having touch, touch bases as you go through the process. So if you've told someone, you know, we can give you a leave for six weeks or we can, um, you know, we can probably cover the schedule for the next, you know, two weeks or four weeks or whatever that time frame is for you. What's your plan for sitting down and talking to them? Because it sure as heck better come before the two weeks is up because then you need to know how is it going? Do I need it to plan for the next two weeks again? Do I need to say, okay, we've come to the end of the time and we just can't support this anymore. And so here's what we can do moving forward. The last thing you want to do is face down the end of that timeline without having had some touch points and a plan for what is, what is going to come next. Yep. Completely agree. All right. So quick tips on having this conversation with Carol and then we'll be out. Okay. All right, what cool. Come from a point of compassion, not defensiveness. I don't want to sit down with Carol and say, Hey, look, I know you're asking for these things, but you know, let me tell you about the, what the practice needs. Right. And, uh, you know, look, I mean, we got to pay the bills here. Right. That's not good. A hundred percent come from a point of compassion. We are trying to do what is right for Carol. We want to support her. And at the same time, we, we, we're trying to do what's right for our staff, the rest of the staff. We've got to support them. And, and we yep. also got to support our patients, clients. Yep. And our, our clients and, and, and provide care for them. And, and, you know, like we are trying to be compassionate to everybody. So I'm coming from a point of compassion. I really want to avoid talking about fairness and using the word fair. The word fair is very loaded. It tends to get people real fired up. And the honest to God truth is there is no cosmic judge. And what you think is fair and what I think are fair may be entirely different things. I mean, you can look, I I hate to use this example, but 
look at look at our political parties in the states, what people who are on the left think is fair and what people on the right think is fair. They have different, totally they, have different, different things. Different, they totally <laughs> different They have different worldviews. They have different value systems in a lot of cases. Right. They see fair entirely differently. Right. And again, not bad or not bad or good. Just I use that as an example of people who see different things as being fair. And yeah, well, and that's, that's it. So a really good example. Well, thank you. It's fair is not a universal standard just because you think something is fair does not mean the other person will agree. And I do not want you to get into an argument about what is fair. It's yeah. it's not worth arguing. There is no cosmic judge that will pass a ruling. It's just it's not worth it. Scrap that. Don't talk about what's fair. Mm-hmm. Talk about doing your best, looking out for everybody, all the different needs and concerns that are at play, and then talk about what you will be able to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, and assume good intent, right? This person is not asking you because they're trying to take advantage of you. Don't think of them as someone who's trying to get out of working. Just that's not a productive mindset. It's probably not true. Just don't. Everybody is doing their best. Everyone's fighting a battle we don't know anything about. Right. Talk about what you're able to do to help. And I and I think assuming good intent is also important on the flip side because when you have this conversation with them, ultimately at the end of the day, the conversation to Carol may be, um, you know, we have we have given you an extended leave of absence. Like we're, you know, now you have taken off a sum of four weeks off we're at the point where we we just can't support additional time off. So here's what we're going to need to do. When Carol hears that, she may be unable to process that without being emotional or without getting angry or upset or frustrated because there is a real life impact of that decision, good or bad, to her, just like there's a real life impact sure. to, to the team. She she still is the person that you know and care about. And so it's important to, to um, be able to take the reaction with a little bit of a grain of salt and not back down from your decision, but, but make her understand that you understand that this is hard thing for her to hear or for her to process or whatever. And, and, come at it from that place of compassion, like we said, because at the end of the day, we're all humans and we're human and there's an impact to the, to the team and to the business and they're, they're human and there's an impact to them on, on their personal life. And it's, it's never going to be an easy, easy conversation, but the thing that is absolutely not fair to anyone is to just not have the conversation and ignore Mm. it and hope that it just sorts itself out because, I promise you that <laughs> if there's anything that 16 years of management have taught me, it is that it never just works itself out. Yeah. <laughs> Even oh. if it works itself out in that instance, it will come up again and you will be right back where you are in the moment. I agree. Take home points. Do everything you can to make her feel heard. So make mm-hmm. Carol feel heard. Um, validate the heck out of her. Right. Everything that you can agree with, everything that you can empathize with, I totally understand. I completely agree, you know, and then, and then the last part is, um, you know, if, if this is not what she wants to hear, this is, this is hard. Um, it's not wrong to apologize. It's not wrong to apologize. Say, I am so sorry you are going through this. Mm-hmm. I am so sorry. It hurts my heart to see you struggle, you know, struggling with this weight and, right. you know, um, we really want to support you. I wish I could do more. I really, I really do. Mm-hmm. This is, this is what we're able to do. But yeah. anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of how I would set it up. And you're right. It, it may be, a, it may be a hard conversation. Um, we want to do it as gracefully as possible. Um, but ultimately we got to figure out what we can do. And, and what I would, again, try to do is don't get defensive, come from a point of compassion, try to explain what we're looking at and the the why behind our decisions yeah. and be soft and gentle and kind. But ultimately we ha- we have to do what we have to do. And so that's kind of how we come up with those balance. For sure. You love it. Well, I hope, I hope this has been helpful because I think this is one that touches all of us at some point um, or another in our career. So um, I bet fish. this will be another another one of our episodes where all of our all of our listeners that, and friends out there are like, wait, 
are they talking about me? Are they talking about my yeah. practice? Because we've all been there. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for your help, Steph. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. Guys, that is our episode. If there's problems you'd like me and Stephanie to tackle, just send us an email about them. Send it to podcast at unchartedvet.com. That's podcast at unchartedvet.com. Give us enough background information so that we can kind of dig in and have an example to work on. And we can really uh, help you out there if you want an alias pseudonym. Just let us know what it is. And I, I don't know why I love them so much, but boy, I like code names. Super dorky. But it makes my day. I also one last thing. I was serious about uh, this conference price increases in nine days. There's 20 spots left. I don't want you to miss it. Be there. Take care. Talk to you next week. <laughs>